This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I don't know when the last time was that I had the opportunity to preach at a missions conference, one of our missions conferences. This is a wonderful privilege for me, and we are taking this as the will of God as we continue to pray for the O'Malley's. A century ago, Robert Murray McShane was preaching in the British Isles, and one night, because of how the crowd had continued to grow each evening, uh, they were forced to take the service outside. And so he was preaching to an outdoor audience. And the way things were situated out there as he preached, the sun began to set. His topic that night was the great white throne judgment. And witnesses who were at that service that night said, first of all, as the sun began to set, the sun was blinding, and all you could see was the silhouette of the preacher. And while they were blinded, they were captured by the message that he preached. The fact that there's coming a day where every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. Those who do not know Jesus as Savior will be at that great white throne. Their knees will bow, they'll confess that Jesus is Lord. But then we know what the scripture teaches, the reality is they'll be eternally banished to the lake of fire. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and no escape. They said the sun set and it wasn't long until blackness enveloped the area. To the point they could not see the preacher, they only heard his voice. And as he concluded the message, he declared the fact that the world before the great white throne would be enveloped in darkness. That with every passing year, the darkness would become greater. And yet in that darkness, the message continued to be proclaimed. And it was just a wonderful illustration of them, the message of coming judgment and the fact that there is deliverance through Jesus Christ. That night the message closed and with that, those truths ringing in their ears, everyone went in the darkness back to their homes. But witnesses declared, what an object lesson, what an experience as physically, they were reminded of spiritually and, and the reality of what is coming. And so, knowing the terror of the Lord, we do what? We persuade men. And God has given us the privilege to be able, not only ourselves, to persuade men with the gospel, but He's given us the opportunity to support others who are in the regions beyond as they persuade 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, no lasting work for God gets done without God, which is why God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, 1 Corinthians 1.27. When we look at the truth of grace giving, or what's been referred to as faith promise giving, when we see that in Scripture... God gives us examples of weak instruments that he used mightily to provide for what missions needs. You're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That's where our main text is going to be tonight. But would you turn over one chapter to chapter 9 and would you look please at verse 2. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says this, For I know... The forwardness of your mind. What's he referring to? I know the readiness of your mind. For which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia, now this is the region in Greece where Corinth was. In fact, Corinth was the capital of this region. That Achaia was ready to, a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. So ready a year ago, a year ago you voiced your intentions, you Corinthians, a year ago you said you were going to contribute to this offering for the needy saints in Jerusalem. Your zeal hath provoked very many. Now if you know this text, what Paul is saying is, okay, now you, you helped start this. God laid it on our hearts, you got excited about it. But I'm mentioning it to you so that after we come to you with the wonderful offering that the Macedonians have taken, that we don't find you unprepared. Now one year before writing a third letter to the church at Corinth, the saints there had promised to take up this offering. We find that in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 10. Now to help the Corinthians finish what they had promised, Paul uses the example of the Macedonians. He had used the example of the Corinthians to provoke the Macedonians. Hey, this is what they've promised to do. And he had heard some things that made him concerned whether the Corinthians would be ready. Now we're going to see later the Macedonians were very impoverished. The Corinthians lived in a wealthy city. They weren't impoverished. Okay? But now he flips it around and he says to the Corinthians, let me tell you what the Macedonians have done. And it far exceeded anything that anyone had expected. So tonight, we need to see that when the cause of missions needed financial support in the early church, the Holy Spirit met the need by enabling saints who did not have material wealth. When we get to heaven, we're going to rejoice in the fact that God got his work done through weak things. Poor things. And God shows his might through our weakness. And the same was true with the Macedonians. And so the thrust of the message tonight is this. Grace giving proves that any believer, any believer can give generously toward missions if they allow God to work through them. I appreciated uh, earlier tonight 
Brother Rayfeld's testimony. He, he referred to this same thing. I, I'm weak. I, I can't do this. When Christians say that, it thrills the heart of God because God says, well, I already knew that, but because you understand that, now I can work through you. And so tonight, let's consider the Macedonian model for grace giving. You've heard us talk in this missions conference about faith promise giving. We're going to help explain it, but we want to give the background that, that helps set the stage for this biblical truth that God has used now for centuries to help the church with their missions giving. As we examine these saints living in areas like Philippi, Thessalonica, we learn that they had their own problems that were identical to the Jerusalem church. Now think about that. The Jerusalem church is being persecuted, which has left them impoverished. And obviously, it's difficult to carry out the Great Commission if you're wondering how you're going to feed your family next time. So who does God turn to? Folks who are being persecuted, who are also impoverished, to prove, you know what? God is not limited. And it doesn't matter our circumstances, if we will trust him and pray, God can work through us to build his church. He is not limited. So you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul reminded the Corinthians, look please at verse 2. How then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and deep their deep poverty abounded. You may want to underline that word abounded. Abounded under the riches of their liberality. Okay. Well, you didn't think the one would result in the other, right? I want to take a moment to look at that word liberality. You know what that Greek word means? And I love this. It doesn't mean they were generous. Now, we think about that. Liberals today, they're generous. They love to give away other people's money. Okay? It's not talking about that. Do you know what that word means? It means simplicity. Do you know one of the things that limits God's people in helping do the work of God is we're too smart for our own good. In fact, the truth is we overthink things. God tells us we need to have faith as a child. They don't overthink things, usually. Okay? If you tell them ele some elephants are purple, they'll believe you. There, there are purple elephants. No. All right. But when God speaks, we have no reason to question it. None. And what does God want from us? Simple trust and obedience. Simplicity. Now, suffering made their giving more generous. That's, that's the point of this verse. It amazes me how churches that seemingly have the least often give the most. And churches that could give a great amount many times, they give the least. They come up short. I know of one area where I pastored where a church with millionaires, literally millionaires, gave much less to missions than a smaller work down the road that practiced faith promise giving. 
Missionaries don't shy, let me, let me challenge you missionaries, don't shy away from seeking support from smaller churches. Don't do that. Well, I, they're, they're, that's just a small congregation. I, I don't know that they can be a help to us. Stop. Stop. If that small congregation knows how to trust God and pray for resources, for missions, you want to be supported by that church. God's enablement can make them one of the strongest supporters you have, both in their praying and in their giving. And so what problems did the Macedonians face? Let's take a closer look. We already mentioned great perse persecution. We don't have time to go to Acts 17 and see the different circumstances under which the Macedonian churches were started. So let me, let me name some of those for you. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. Remember what happened in Philippi? Paul goes in, Paul and Silas, they begin preaching there. And Satan's got his plant. There's a demon-possessed girl that starts walking around, helping them with their testimony. Oh, no. She is saying what is true about them, but the fact she's saying it makes their whole ministry, or brings their whole ministry into question. And when Paul turns, and in the name of Jesus Christ casts that demon out, you'll remember what happened. It made her owners angry. They go to the city officials in Philippi. Paul and Silas are arrested, beaten, and thrown in a dungeon. Rough start to a church. It's a rough way to begin if you're a missionary. Middle of the night, they're singing praises to God. God sends an earthquake. Every prison door is swung open. The jailer takes a sword. Somehow there was enough light in that dungeon for Paul and Silas to be able to see what he's about to do. He is about to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners have escaped. They, they stop him. They say, we are all here. But because of their testimony through the night, what does he say to them? What must I do to be saved? You know, the first converts in the church in Philippi was a jailer. Then his family gets saved. Then others are saved. That's Philippi. What about Thessalonica? Well, Paul begins to preach there. And the scripture tells us that there were uh, uh, some Jews that literally got a bunch of people in the city to create a mob scene. There was a riot. It gets the city officials involved. The whole city, Acts 17 says, is in an uproar. Not the best way to start a church. In fact, it got so bad, folks... There were those that believed, but it was because there were folks being saved that this uproar happened. Paul and the missions team are forced to leave the city. They head towards Berea, and guess what? The troublemakers follow them to Berea. So Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, persecution, and, and when the missionaries leave, the persecution continues. Now this problem was confounded by great poverty in this region. 
If you can think of it this way, Macedonia in the Roman Empire was like the Wild West in our history. That was the frontier. Philippi was an outpost. There were soldiers there, that was the edge of the empire, but there were border skirmishes with, and you'll remember this from scripture, the barbarians that lived outside of that border. And so it's an impoverished area as the empire has been expanding but now has been halted in these places. When we read about deep poverty, it means that these Christians were at beggar status. They probably wondered at times where their next meal would come from. It would have been easy for them to think, Paul, we've got our own problems. We can't help with your offering. Instead, their heart was toward God and others. And we've seen this over and over in history. In recent history, let me give you an example. When American pastors were finally allowed back into the old Soviet Union, most came back to the States with this perspective of these comments. They talked about the generous giving of the believers who had been behind, and, and with perestroika, some of you will remember that history, they were still behind the Iron Curtain. It was starting to rise. But these pastors came back, and here's what they were talking about. Despite the persecution and the poverty of those who were living under communism, when they would visit those churches and their homes, they were overwhelmed by the generosity of those believers. In fact, they'd have, and Pastor Davis can tell you this, he was over there. They would serve meals that were lavish, but all those pastors knew that what they were being fed probably represented the next couple months of the food that these, folks, these believers had. Now, why were they so generous? Well, here's what they had learned. The same God who provided this meal, we've got to depend on him for the next one, and he'll provide the next one. And so out of their persecution and their poverty, they had learned, listen, to live by faith, and they learned what grace could provide. And they were very, very generous. Now, what do you do when things are tight financially? Usually, the first thing we're prone to do is stop paying for what is least important to us. Right? What does it reveal when Christians stop tithing or they stop giving to missions? Well, we wouldn't say it, but this is what's least important. Because we really believe it's up to us to take care of these other needs. Can I just remind us tonight, it was never up to you to provide for you. No, no, I'm not saying don't work. But who gives us work? Who gives us health? Who provides a job? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Nobody has ever pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. That has all been the graciousness of God. Now here's some encouragement. 
Grace will make all the difference. Regardless of how tight things are, persecution. Do you know that there are Americans who lose their jobs because of persecution? In spite of all that, keep depending on God who has always been your sole provider. He always has been. And by the way, he has promised to continue to be. And so great persecution, great poverty. So we've seen the Macedonians' problems. Let's look, take a closer look now at the Macedonians' pattern. I think Paul went into this region. Remember the Macedonian call. He went into this region thinking, all right, I can use a church like Corinth to help stimulate, motivate these believers. Instead, God turned it all around. No, no, I don't need wealth. I need trust. So he's able to come back to the Corinthians and say, hey, hey, wait a minute. Let me give you an example of what God can do through people who are trusting him. The Macedonians' pattern. 2 Corinthians 8, would you notice please verse 3. For to their power, now when you see that word, it means ability. To their power ability, I bear record, yea, and beyond their ability, they were willing of themselves. What's that mean? They were willing of their own accord to give. Often when we think about faith promise giving, we leave this part out. Now don't misunderstand, it is about depending on God, seeking what God would have us to pray for so that he can provide that for missions, for the cause. But there's also this human side, God has already given you things out of which he wants you to give. In other words, they started by being willing to give of what they already had. Now, it was next to nothing. But they were all faithful with that little. And what did Jesus teach? If we're faithful with little, he will provide more, right? I believe we could state the Macedonian's pattern this way. Start with basic stewardship start with basic stewardship God has sustained had sustained the Macedonian Christians abject poverty but they weren't starving to death what did God say I'll supply your needs he was doing that and these believers recognized that the little they had already belonged to the Lord one of the greatest proofs that a Christian is practicing basic stewardship is that he or she already acknowledges God's ownership of everything that they have. It starts there. Is God in control of the things that he has already given to you to help you in this journey we call life, to help you serve him with those things, to get the job done here as we prepare to meet the Lord. Are you faithful in those things? Christians tithe who understand basic stewardship. And by the way, don't get the tithe in your faith promise giving mixed up. Faith promise is an offering 
over the tithe. The tithe is you being faithful of your own ability with what God has given you now. Christians who practice basic stewardship, they don't debate this matter. They understand the Lord instituted the tithe before Moses' law was given. They understand that Jesus reaffirmed it in his teaching with his disciples. And then basic stewardship also distributes to the needs of others, especially those of the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. And so for all of us, missions conference is a good time to look at what we have that could be working harder for the Lord. Now again, let's keep the simplicity in this. Does God need to give you much for you to do much for God? What do you think? No. Examples. Moses, what's in your hand? A rod. Do you remember what that started? Cast it down. What can God do? He can make it a serpent. Or he can say, Moses, take that rod and put it over the vast Red Sea. It's not what's in your hand, it's what God can do with what's in your hand. I love the example of Elijah. Elijah, I'm going to go take care of you. There's a widow in Zarephath. Okay, she must have a big pantry. What happens when Elijah gets there? I've got a little oil, a little meal. We're going to eat it and we're going to die. Okay, not much. But what happens if you give that to God? Can't run out. Right? So, basic stewardship. As we think about our faith promise commitments, think about your stewardship. And of your own ability, think about what you have that could be working for the Lord. Your faith promise commitment could include things you could sell, areas where you could spend less on non-essentials. Guys, take an honest tour through your garage. And the ladies are going, amen, pastor. All right. Could any of that help for missions? Ladies, check your cabinets, your closets, the attic. Could any of that stuff be put to use for the Lord? Well, I might need that someday. Anybody ever said that? <laughs> Haven't used it in the last 20 years, but I might need that someday. Okay. Take an honest evaluation of what God has already given you and could it be working for the Lord? Now, the Macedonians didn't stop with basic stewardship. They moved on to what grace could supply. But before that even, let me give us a second point. They moved on to genuine sacrifice. Again, look at the verse. Beyond their ability, they were willing. 
What's that telling us? Well, these believers looked at what they needed and they took the step of going without for the sake of the Lord's work. Basic stewardship. And then, let's put it this way, genuine sacrifice. That's what the text is teaching. You'll probably never know this about some other Christians that you meet or that maybe are in your church. But there are Christians that live in less of a house, drive less of a car. They take modest vacations just so they can do more for the Lord's work. Do they do it so everybody thinks they're spiritual? The reality is they do it and nobody knows they're doing it. But they get a hold of this, all right, we're good stewards, but then we know that the Lord tells us to deny ourselves, and so we're going to be willing to sacrifice as well. They don't complain about it. They probably don't spend any time thinking about it. They get to give more to the Lord's work. This was the Macedonian pattern. This was their model. Now most of us would think we were doing pretty well at this point if our stewardship is right, if we're sacrificing, but the saints in Macedonia still wanted to do more. And this is where they trusted God for more. This is where they excelled by faith or grace giving. Now what are you already trusting the Lord with? You trusted Him with everything you have? Let me just share this with you. This last area, for those who are spiritually minded, this is the easiest part. I like what Dr. John Halsey used to say before he went to be with the Lord. He said, grace giving costs the giver nothing. Let that sink in. Now, he would go on to say that that's not completely the case because it will require the giver to get alone with the Lord and say, God, I want you to do more through me. Lord, would you do more through me, through my spouse and I, through our family, so that we can do more at our church for missions. But again, this doesn't cost you anything. Are God's resources limited at all? No. In fact, he tells us in his word that he paved streets in heaven with what? Gold. All right. Well, if he can do that, by the way, he spoke the universe, including all the gold, into existence. He's not limited in how he can take care of us, nor is he limited in how he can provide through us. A Christian asks God for more to give to missions beyond what they have. And when God provides that, it is supernatural, it is exciting. And it grows our faith to trust Him for more. This is not, please understand, this is not prosperity preaching. We're not trying to prosper us. We're trying to see God work through us so that we can prosper His cause. Getting the gospel out to the world. 
The gift that the Macedonians collected was far more than what was humanly even possible. And so this brings us to our final point. Despite the problems that these believers faced, they followed a specific pattern that ultimately led them to surpass anyone's expectations, including their own. Now we're going to see Sunday morning, they first gave themselves to the Lord. And by the way, that's what this, er, these earlier points are about. What, was, what were these Macedonians doing? Good stewardship. Trusting the Lord. Sacrificing. But then they rejoiced to be able to see God do far more than they could have expected. And they gave that to missions as God provided. Now here's the question. Okay, there are these believers in Jerusalem that are being persecuted. They're impoverished. Was this a missions offering or was this a benevolent offering? I'm glad you asked. Well, let's take a look. What was the purpose they were financing? What was it that they were giving towards? They understood something that you and I need to understand. And the only way we can understand this is to go back to the book of Philippians. And so, would you go back there with me? Philippians, Colossians. The first church that God used Paul to plan in Macedonia, I've already referred to this, was the church at Philippi. So turn to the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. He writes this letter from Rome. His theme is rejoicing, but where is the apostle as he writes this letter? Where's he at? He's in prison. And notice what he said to them. Go to chapter 4 and verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, you Philippians, you Macedonians, that now at the last your care for me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. What he's saying is the Philippians maintained their concern for Paul, but now they were sending an offering to the missionary who had helped plant their church and who was now not just a prisoner in Rome, he was now a missionary in Rome. Ah, he had spent time in prison in Philippi. This is, this is what happens to Paul. Okay, he's in Rome, he's in prison. What's he doing in prison? Same thing he did in Philippi. He is witnessing. Perhaps by now they've already learned that in that prison, Caesar's own bodyguards, the elites are being saved, including some of Nero's own household. Imagine that. It's missions. When Paul left Philippi and went to Thessalonica to plant the church there, notice what they did for him when he was there. Look at chapter 4 and verse 16. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again. Sent what? An offering. Unto my necessity. What were they doing? Supporting missions. How were these impoverished believers doing it? Well, that's what the message has been about. 
gave themselves to the Lord, trusted God by grace, and the Lord supplied through them to meet the needs of the missionary. Now back in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul was boasting about what God had done through the Macedonians by grace and encouraged, used their example to encourage the Corinthians to follow the same pattern to help the saints in Jerusalem. What were the saints in Jerusalem still doing? Very simply, they were obeying the Great Commission. What did Jesus said to the believers there through the apostles that were there. What did, what did Jesus say before he went back to heaven? Ye shall be witnesses, Jerusalem. They hadn't lost sight of that. Not everyone had fled the city. Again, apostles were still in the city. They were still trying to reach the city for Christ. Missions! And so this too was a missions offering as the Jewish Christians carried out the Great Commission. It was a team effort among all the churches what happened when wealthier churches like Corinth didn't minister to Paul's needs so his missionary efforts could continue? Let's go back now to 2 Corinthians. And would you look over at chapter 9? I'm sorry, chapter 11 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 9, notice. And when I was present with you, I wanted and wanted. In other words, I lacked. I was chargeable to no man. I wasn't going to have anybody there think, Paul is doing this because he wants money. I didn't ask a thing. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from where? Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, you wealthy Christian. And so will I keep myself. I'll take care of me. With God's help, I'll take care of my own provisions. Now there will be times our grace giving is used by God to make up for what other churches fail to do in their support for missions. Good news, what I'm about to share with you may surprise you, it may shock you. But if I had missionaries, the missionaries who are here tonight stand and speak to us about this, again, it would shock you. Do you know that from month to month, missionaries cannot always count on what's going to come in for them? You realize that? Oh, we'll take you on for support. We're going to give you this much if we think we can afford it. I have talked to missionaries that we have supported who have thanked us for being consistent month by month because we actually send what we said we would send. But they don't know from other churches what they're going to get. By the way, I don't think they're paying their preachers that way. Well, it's just a missionary off in some part of the world where the currency is fluctuating and it makes no sense. A commitment's a commitment. But that's why we have to be right. We have to be faithful and trust God to give abundantly through us so that we can encourage other missionaries. So let's close. This is the Macedonian model of grace giving. 
want to encourage you, start with basic biblical stewardship. You should not start giving to faith promise if you're not faithfully tithing. You need to begin there because you're in disobedience if you're not. Then move on to genuine sacrifice. Now we've had folks who are unemployed and, and uh, there are setbacks. I, I understand that. And things can get tight. But would you agree with me that we've, we really have it pretty easy in America? Even with this difficult economy and all the self-inflicted problems we're having in this country, we've got it really good. God is faithful. He has supplied our needs. But even if we were living in abject poverty and facing open persecution, guess what? God could still be working through us for missions. Somebody has said it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. And from there we can excel by practicing faith, promise, or grace giving. You getting alone with God, you and your spouse getting alone with God and saying, Lord, we want to evaluate all of our stewardship. Is there more that we can give in these other ways? And then after answering that question, then we pray, Lord, what do you want us to give, trusting you just by faith? Let's pray about that. Something that can only be explainable if God lays that on our heart, and then God does it. Lord, what does that look like? And then when you pray about that, and God leads you that way, and you fill out a faith promise commitment card, Keep that in front of you, anticipating, trusting. All right, God, you, you said this to us, and we know you're going to supply, and so we're going to pray this way. And at the end of the year, I am confident because I've seen it for years, you'll be amazed at what God has done. This was the Macedonian model. I believe it should be the missions model for churches today. What a testimony these impoverished believers were as they gave time and again to the missionary work of the Apostle Paul. And oh, by the way, every one of those Macedonians, are they still living in poverty today? <laughs> They're walking streets of gold. And everything God provided through them, they got rewarded for. That's a deal. And the great thing is they're in heaven and they're around other believers who are in heaven because, because they trusted the Lord and gave to missions. Were their efforts worth the sacrifice and prayer? The gospel spread through those churches and then throughout Europe, the world. Listen, and here we are tonight. Don't make don't let this be a disconnect what we're reading about has resulted in you and I being here right now because of this model are you following the Macedonian model of grace giving will you participate and ask God what he wants to do 
through you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truths that we're able to glean from these passages. Lord, you you are so mighty, you don't need anything mighty here to get your work done. You need humble servants who will trust you, be willing to give you glory after you work, and you have promised to build your church. You continue to do it. And Lord, thank you that in a missions conference like this, we can be challenged with the truth. We can humbly go to you seeking your direction. And then, Lord, we get to see what you do. What we're, what we're seeing from your word is what your servants here have been doing, and that's why you're doing such great things here in missions. And Lord, we have the privilege, the opportunity to even consider taking on even more wonderful missionary servants because folks are just trusting you and you're providing way beyond our means. And so we give you praise. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.